Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here with Kurt Mortensen, locked and loaded for episode 82. We're making it a long way on the final home stretch to episode 100, where something marvelous is supposed to happen after 100 episodes. We have yet to plan that. You guys just seem to like it if we keep cranking out episodes. We got some good listener mail this week. Kurt, how you doing? Feeling good. I'm trying to figure out what that marvelous thing is going to be for the 100th episode. I know we'll make it free. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or they're all free. Or maybe we should start charging. There we go. You heard it here, everybody. The 100th episode is going to be free. You've got my word on that. Episode 100 will be no cost to you <laughs> or less the cost of a Honda Civic, all in the same call. Those both. Yeah, that's it is technically <laughs> less than the cost of a Honda Civic. It is. Right? We'll hey, how about so. a cheesy segue for University of Persuasion, as long as we're on the Honda Civic? Bit. Oh, I like cheese. Go for it. <laughs> okay, so... Universitypersuasion.com. You want to learn more about the show? You want other choices and different options that we have to make you a better persuader? We have a program on there that is a simple task that you do every single week. It's a 52-week course. You do this. You enroll in this. I promise you, you will be a much better persuader at the end of the year than when you started, all for the cost of less than a Honda Civic. So go to Universitypersuasion.com for more info on that. You can find stuff from the podcast archives. There's hundreds of videos. There's audios. There's a 52-week program. There's an Ask a Coach segment. What else do we have? Oh, there's a download of the month, complete audio books. And, but wait, there's more. The one thing I am adding here pretty quick is the persuasion tool of the week. It's three to five minutes, quick, easy, apply it, learn it, master it, and your income will go up. I don't see how it cannot. I mean, this is yeah. this is good stuff. You pay attention to it every week, a skill like persuasion. You're going to be much better off by the time that the year is over. So it just a little bit of dedication over time fixes a lot of things. It is. It's a little bit here, a little bit there. Improve yourself 1%, 2% a week. Your income's doubling every year. I've said before, and if I really want to do something, I'm consistent over time. If you could just eat well and exercise a lot in chunks, I would look great. Right? I mean, if you could go work out for five hours on Saturday, would that undo all the bean burritos I eat throughout the week? No, because I have to be consistent on that front. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, easy on the bean burritos. That might help, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the problem. I'm not consistent in my eating, and I need to be no, consistent. that is the problem. You are consistent in your eating. You're just not consistent in the exercise part. <laughs> right. I'm consistently bad in my eating. There you so, go. <laughs> if you do just a little bit every single day and you systemize it, that's the key. And that's what University of Persuasion does for you. It puts the learning of persuasion on an automatic system that makes it totally brainless for you in a good way. And then you wake up a year later and you're better at it. Wow. If it was that easy. Almost is. That works. Yeah, it is. I'll say it is. Oh, you'll say it is. Awesome. Yes. Okay. okay, great. So everybody, we've got some good stuff for, to cover for you. Like I said, listener mail. We have a new Persuasion IQ question. And, you know, hey, actually an unintentional segue, how to make new habits stick. We're talking about consistency here. And since you're all signing up for University of Persuasion, how do we make these new habits stick? Geeky article moment to Kurt. <laughs> 
hey, I'll take it. And this is based on a lot of different research. Actually, this is Sam Davies. He lives in the world of psychology. He was just doing a lot with habits, what makes it stick. And it's pretty interesting that he came up with doing the research that you can make change stick, habit stick by making it easier, which is kind of a duh thing. But it's interesting what they found out that there are things that prime you to fail from your goals. Like if you want to lose weight, having a Snickers in the ice box, having candy that's close by makes it that much easier to fail. And I remember even a different study I read a while back that the closer you were to your exercise equipment in your house, increased the chances you were going to exercise. Even just getting up in the morning, putting on your sweats, even if you weren't sure you're going to exercise, increased the chance. So he went over a couple different things. He talked about the priming, like if there's candy close by, you need to make it yourself easy as possible. In fact, he mentions a study where they were trying to get students in a university to go to the health center, but just by providing the map dramatically increased how many people went to the health center. He also talks about our default setting as far as we know what's going to cause us to break our habits. We know that if we go to a fast food restaurant, we probably might not order the best thing. And they also talked about commitments, getting commitments from other people as far as supporting you and keeping you accountable. And he talked about these things. And so big picture, let's talk about exercise. It's something we've already mentioned, something that we probably all need to do a little more of. And so this is what he talked about. He says, you got to prime yourself. Basically, have your gym bag packed, leave it someplace you see it every day, makes it that much easier to go. He talked about our defaults where we have scheduled days when you exercise and there's no way around it. So we have a default setting every Monday. We're going to do it that way. He talks about commitments, having a partner, meeting a partner there, holding you accountable if you miss a workout. And all that social norm and working together makes it much easier. And the biggest aha for me was, and we've known this before, but just make it as easy as possible. And that's true in the world of persuasion and self-persuasion is that the easier you make it on yourself to make it happen causes your habits to stick. And that is so important now that we're past January, obviously. And even in the world of persuasion, the easier you make it for someone to be persuaded to do what you're asking them to do, even your habits, it's that much easier for it to stick and become a permanent habit. I like what he said about priming. I'm I'm in the middle of rehabbing a house right now, and we have to put primer on the walls. We got to get them ready for paint. If the paint just comes in, it's not going to go on well. It's not going to stay it's going to look funny, so you have to prime it, and it's a you know it's a good connection. We have to do these things to increase the chances that it's going to happen. You have to act like somebody who is actually going to do the task, who is going to do the habit. You've all heard a million times that if you want to eat better, it's good to prep all of your food like a week in advance or, or pack your lunch in the morning so that it's not a decision. When it gets to lunch, I did this today. I, I, I ate lunch at Del Taco. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was in a hurry. I was stressed out. I had a he- headache from hunger because I was running around all morning. Ah, got to have food. Got to have food now. There's Del Taco. There's an angelic chorus. I went there <laughs> and I had a quesadilla and some tacos and I put on a few pounds probably, right? Whereas if I would have thought about it ahead of time and packed a lunch, when I got hungry, it wouldn't have been a decision. I would never have even considered Del Taco. So what you're talking about is it's working out. It's some kind of a business habit. It's you've got to look out in advance and you've got to prime it, create the atmosphere where you're going to be most likely to follow through with that habit. So making a bad habit decision is not even an option. It's just too easy to do the good one. And what it really is, too, is you make the decision before you need to make the decision. (laughs) 
If you would have made the decision that morning to pack the lunch and eat healthy versus when your blood sugar was low and you had that headache and you need something to eat, it's a lot harder to make the right decision because you didn't decide early in the day what that decision was going to be. That's right. That's right. I, I should have made that. You know how I get with the low blood sugar, right? <laughs> That's right. It's not pretty. So I'm kind of the pinnacle, just the listeners, you know, those commercials for Snickers when you'll have some guy jumping up and down and it's, it's actually a woman. Then he has the bite of Snickers and it's a guy because, you know, he turned into a drama queen. You ever seen those commercials? Those are pretty funny. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> like they'll have some kind of R&B female singer in the backseat of a car yelling at everybody, takes a bite of a Snickers, and then it's just some dude. And they say, hey, you're a little bit of drama queen when you're hungry. <laughs> if you hadn't driven by a Del Taco, maybe you wouldn't have gone there. Maybe there's different routes people need to take. In fact, you talked about a study at a supermarket where the customers were influenced by the music. They primed with music. When they played French music – they sold more French wine. When they played German music, they sold more German wine. So it's these little subconscious triggers. could be the smell, color, driving by the restaurant, thinking about it too much. Low blood sugar can all trigger bad decisions if we're not prepared for it. Yeah, and low blood sugar is the fast food industry's business plan. Yes, it is. <laughs> right? They want those who procrastinate to end up at their restaurants, and millions of them do every single day. Every day. Yep. So, all right, that's a good article, Kurt. Anything else you want to add to that before we move on? Just realize that a lot of it is mentally changing. The universe won't reward you physically until you believe it mentally. So when you see yourself making the change, you see yourself resisting, you see yourself eating healthy, you see yourself saying no, it's much easier to actually do it. Awesome. Okay, well, let's move it on. We've been doing the last couple of weeks a little bit of a feature on some of the cheat questions you can use for the Persuasion IQ test. If you don't know what that is, you need to go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com and scroll to the bottom and you'll see a little area where you can click on Persuasion IQ Test. That is a test that Kurt has worked on over the years, testing your smarts and what you know about the science and art of persuasion. So you can take the test, it'll score you and say, hey, you're terrible, or hey, you're awesome, most likely somewhere in between. Because you listen to this podcast, you're not going to be terrible. You're going to know some of these answers. So we have been giving you the cheat sheet as well as the background on some of these answers for the last couple of episodes. And it's the background that counts. That's where you learn the good stuff. Just book smarts for the sake of book smarts isn't going to do you a lot of good in the trenches. So we have another question for today, and it's a little bit uh, a little bit cheesy, but Kurt likes cheese, as he said mm-hmm. earlier on the episode. So Kurt, the one who wrote the questions, I will ask you a question here. Okay. Which one is the main reason people do things they don't want to do? And kind of phrasing that a little bit is, why would somebody do something that they normally wouldn't? under regular circumstances. The options are A, fear, B, greed, C, dissonance, D, love, or E, pride. Jeopardy. Ding, ding, ding. I will take number three, which is C, cognitive dissonance is probably the main. Now, the key thing is the main thing. Dissonance more than fear, greed, and these other things helps people persuade themselves, and people actually do things they don't really want to do because you trigger dissonance within them. That is correct. So that uh, that begs the question, okay, cognitive dissonance, that word's a little more complex than fear, greed, love, and pride. You've got some explaining to do. What is <laughs> okay. cognitive dissonance? Let me start off with an example. When people make decisions throughout the day, they're right 50% of the time and they're wrong 50% of the time. So when you make decisions throughout the day or at work, 50% of your decisions are right, and 50% are wrong. Now, I made that up. <laughs> I don't know. You tell me, Steve. What happened 
when I said that statistic in your mind? Well, I've had one of those days, so I was thinking, yeah, it's more like 90% wrong for me today. Uh, <laughs> who are all these people that are so good at, at life? <laughs> there you go. Well, the Bay factor here is the human brain needs to be right. When I said that, many of you thought about it, but most of you are like, no, that's probably other people. I'm probably better than yeah, that. I yeah. don't believe that statistic because it didn't resonate with you. It was like a rubber band stretched inside you where you felt a little tension that that can't be right. That couldn't be about you. And that's what dissonance is, is where there's some discrepancy between your belief or commitment that you made and your rubber band stretches, you feel tension, and you have to alleviate it. Another example is... You're watching late night TV. Your belief is you're a charitable person. They're the children in South America. You can help. Less than a cup of coffee a day, the rubber band stretches because you believe you're a charitable person. And before you change the channel, you get rid of that tension by saying something like, well, I give to another charity or I heard it was a scam. The money doesn't get to the children. We create things why it's okay because it's easier for humans to adjust or amend their beliefs than it is to admit they are wrong or doing something against their values. So the whole concept, why we would care as a persuader here is to leverage this psychological concept in our favor. When we talk to a prospect, the idea is to create that tension because tension or dissonance is going to motivate them to do something that they normally wouldn't otherwise. Correct? Correct. You're basically showing them the difference between where they are and where they need. You're gently stretching that rubber band, causing that that dissonance, and that way they're persuading themselves because we know top persuaders help people persuade themselves, and so you're gently nudging them in that direction by stretching the rubber band, helping them see that gap, and it's one of the more complex laws of persuasion, but when you master this, you're very persuasive. So some people might say, well, Kurt, that's just pain. Every sales book in the world talks about pain. Is this more complicated? Is it the same? Is it different, better? Well, pain is a subset of dissonance, but I'll go this way. Let's talk about getting commitments throughout a presentation and how that works, because that's part of it. People believe that they keep commitments, and the more commitments, the more yeses you can get throughout the presentation, the easier it is for them to persuade themselves to do it. In fact, you probably remember that New York City study on the beach. Remember that one? That's one of my favorite ones. That's a good one, yeah. People were coming onto the beach and putting down a towel, and I think it was a CD player. They'd lay there for a few minutes, and they made sure someone was about 10 feet away, and they would get up and walk away, leaving this electronic device, the CD player. And here comes a confederate, a thief. A confederate is someone who's in on the study, walks up and steals this thing and walks away with it while this person that was 10 feet away is watching. And only 20% of the people attempted to stop this thief. Now we know about dissonance and commitments. This time they set it down, they laid there, they got up, but before they walked away, they turned to that person 10 feet away. Hey, excuse me, will you watch my things? I'm going up to the boardwalk. And they said, sure. Now here comes the thief again. Now it goes from 20% to 95% just by getting the yes, just by getting the commitment because they believe they keep their commitments. They believe they're a good person. They see this happening and it changes the dynamics of it. Study after study shows the more commitments you can get, the more yeses you can get, makes a huge difference in keeping them committed and your ability to persuade them. Oh, that's a good study. It was done a while ago, wasn't it? Sometime in the 80s? They did it a while ago. They've repeated it a few times with a briefcase in a coffee shop and a few other studies, but time after time, it's always the same numbers. I bet nowadays there's a third answer that people are going to have. You know, Hey, can you watch my stuff? This is probably me. I'd say, hang on, I need to call my lawyer. Right. <laughs> yeah. What are the what's the liability of watching your yeah, stuff? What do I have to sign? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just seems so like 
that, that, that it's kind of sad. It shows the trust factor that is settling in on the world. We're just increasingly not trusting anybody that we come across. And that changes persuasion. That's why we need to get commitments. We need to increase the dissonance, help people persuade themselves. And some other factors here that really help you out here, too, is the more public the commitment, the easier it is for it to stick. The more people you tell or getting it in writing. If you are at a restaurant, just writing it on a napkin and both signing it increases the chances they're going to keep the commitment. So there's things you can add to this that make a big difference. And the other thing I'm going to add, too, is Get those easy commitments first, especially during a negotiation. Get the small yeses. Get the track record. Yes, 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 all the way through. And then get to the harder ones. But now you have a track record. There's more commitments. There's more yeses. And it makes persuasion that much easier versus hitting them with this big commitment right up front. Right, right. It's that overall principle of people want to keep the commitments. And even if it's just a small one. This this happened to me just a couple of hours ago. I've, it's well documented on the podcast here that I buy real estate for a living and, and re- repair it and then resell it. So I went to a house, sat down with the gentleman, had a discussion with him. And, and this is, you know, I've got to buy it at a low price for this to make sense for me. And it's no shocker that most people don't want to sell for a low price. My days are full of horrible rejection. Okay. So he told me that said, look, if I can get out of this just for what I owe, then I think I would be good about that. So we get into a conversation about what he owes, talk about a few other things. I tell him, hey, I'm going to go out to my car and crunch some numbers. So you're telling me that if I can get to, and I'll leave the number out of it, but X amount of dollars, that you'd be prepared to move forward with selling me the house today. Yes, that's what I'm telling you. Okay, great. So what I came back and actually it was an okay number. I offered it and he signed on the spot because I knew I needed to tie him down and commit him to that number coming back and saying, okay, I can do it. He's made a commitment twice. He's twice said that if I could do this, right, then I'm going to be, I'm going to be good to go. So that that's probably the best thing that you can do with reference to the question that we're talking about today. Everybody is you've got to go through with your prospect. Okay. What's the problem? Where's the tension coming from? What's causing the tension? And would X fix the tension and X is your product. You get into the benefits of your product. Okay. So you're telling me if I can get you X for this, you're going to be happy. It's going to fix it. They make that psychological commitment, that bridge between where they are and your product is now complete. And it's up to you to screw up the sale at this point. Is that a fair assessment, Kurt? That's a great assessment. And we see it in those who close all the time. Do you have it in green? And they will say, if I can get it in green, will you do it today? Right. And they get the commitment. And even Car salesmen that have a high cheese factor actually do this pretty well where you say, this is my final offer. They look at you and say, okay, if I can get you that, you'll purchase today, right? And you say yes. And then they'll say, okay, let's shake on it, right? So there's kind of a double commitment there. And so they go and get you that number. You've made the commitment. You keep your word. Man, you're going to be buying that car today or you'll pay a huge psychological toll. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you will. And and it's really effective when they align themselves with, with you. They say, hey, look, I'm going to go back there. I'm going to scrap and see if I can get this done for you at that because you said that you would be ready to do it, right? And and so now it's not only have they committed, but now, hey, sales guy, cheesy car guy has gone to battle for me. I mean, that's it's a pretty good – I mean, if you had to pick one sales technique and you could only use one, this would be probably pretty far up there because it's very, very powerful and it's hard for people to go back on this. Agree. It's almost a form of good cop, bad cop where they're on your team and they're on your side. They're helping you out even though 
they get all the commission and <laughs> yeah, right. they're winning just as much as anybody else. I'm, I'm doing you a favor, getting you to spend 45 grand on a car, right? Uh, I'm not going to make any money on this. Like, okay. Yeah, nobody ever <laughs> makes any money. That's right. Doing it all for free. Okay, good. Anything else you want to add to the dissonance question before we move on to some listener mail? Basically, dissonance, when you match this, enables you to build internal pressure in your prospect that they will feel the need to do business with you because you help them persuade themselves. It's a lot more complicated than some of the other laws and techniques we talk about, but when you mash this, you're going to see a huge difference in your ability to help people persuade themselves. Right, and if you want more information on the law of dissonance, you've got a couple of choices. You can go to universityofpersuasion.com, uh-huh. or you can go to amazon.com or Barnes Noble and Kurt's book, Maximum Influence, uh, details the 12 laws of persuasion and dissonance has its whole own chapter with some great questions and some great things to think about as you try to weave that into your presentation or your website or whatever it is you're doing. Oh, great. Good plug. I like it. Yeah. You didn't even pay me for that plug. I know. Well, let's get my quarters out. Yeah. You owe me lunch at our favorite establishment. Okay. There we go. All right. right, Cool. Let's get to listener mail. We're going to give the ninja and Homer a week off. Homer works hard for the show. You know, he he needs to rest the vocal cords. Saying dough over and over like that again has got to be exhausting. And, uh, you know, Ninja Guy, he's he's got to take a little rest. We've had some ninjas on the show lately, so we've got a listener. This is from our listener, Gustavo, and we'll leave last names out of it. But uh, Gustavo was kind enough to write into the show. Any of you can write into the show anytime if you have a question, comment, thought, an insult, anything. Maximize your influence at gmail.com is the address. So here we go. Kurt, Gustavo's got some good ones for you. Crack your knuckles, okay. right? Crack your back. Deep settle breath. In. Yep. Okay. All right, here we go. Hello, Kurt. Great work with the podcast. Been listening for almost two years now, and it's been one of my influences for wanting to get into sales. I just graduated college in December and am now interviewing for entry technical sales roles. I've read many books on selling, but I'm finding it hard to implement the teachings. I have a big sales interview coming up, and I have to sell them business to business, a higher cost pen at 20 cents per pen compared to their current pen at 10 cents. So you got that, Kurt? He's got to sell them a more expensive pen, right? Mm -hmm. And give a five-minute sales presentation on one of their products. I'm very new to all this and was wondering if you had any advice on how to ace it and sales presentation videos examples to share. Well, Gustavo, you got to go to universitypersuasion.com for the sales videos, but we're <laughs> going to help funny. you out on selling a, a overpriced pen as well as some pointers on presenting this company's product. Kurt, why don't you have at it on the pen first? Well, the pen's a great one. That's a great example. We see a lot of sales managers doing it. They want to see that you're thinking on your feet, that you're creative, that you aren't going to back down, that price becomes a non-issue because only rookie salespeople fight on price. When the value's there, anybody will purchase. So a couple thoughts, ideas to help you out is by asking questions. Ask them about their cheap pen, and that's a good pen. Tell me about your pen. What are the uh, strengths and what are the weaknesses? What is the one feature that you wish you had? And just start listening. What does a perfect pen look like to you? Or you could say, hey, on a scale from 1 to 10, on the pen you're using now, how would you rate it? Oh, a 7. Well, what would it need to be a 10? Well, this is what I want. Well, this pen has it right here. So you can talk about the advanced benefits that it has, that it's different, that it's going to solve one of their needs because there's got to be a discrepancy there. So just by asking the questions, they'll tell you everything you need to know to persuade them unless they're really trying to make you look bad or they're really aggressive, but they just looking at your personality at that point. And so 
Your goal there is just to find out from them by asking questions. Don't be forceful. Ask the questions to find out what they're missing in their cheap pen versus this expensive pen. That's one way to do it. The other way is show how the expensive pen is actually cheaper. Say, you know, this pen, it's not the cheapest pen on the market, but when you do the math, it's very economical because the ink lasts three times longer, the mechanisms stay intact two times longer, or whatever it is. And when you do the math with the mechanism never breaking and not running out of ink and doing this and this, actually, over time, this pen will be a lot more expensive because you're going to use four of these cheaper pens versus this one top-of-the-line pens. That's pretty good. verbal packaging. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. I saw that movie, The Wolf of Wall Street, um, which is uh, awesome and terrible at the same time. Terribly awesome. Yeah. There's a scene in there where he's a hustler on the phone. He sells stocks, and and he's interviewing somebody, and he asks him, sell me this pen, and the guy starts to say, well, it's a great pen. No, no, shut up. Right? He immediately cuts him off, which that's true, right? If you just... If someone says, sell me this, and you start vomiting why it's good, absolute opposite of what you want to do. And there's a, a funny portion in the movie where he says, sell me this pen. And so he takes the guys, the guy who's supposed to sell him the pen, gives him a pen, says, hey, well, give me your pen. I'm going to sell it to you. He says, okay. Gives him the pen. He says, all right, write your name down. Well, I don't have a pen. Exactly. Supply and demand. Right? <laughs> That's a great one, too, to... Just figure it out, why they need it, what's the difference is, what's missing. And a lot of people get so stuck that they just try, try to sell this thing versus asking the questions, building the value. That's what they're looking for in this type of an interview. Yeah, you got to ask questions, exactly. And so there's a, I'll put a link to it on the blog. There's a funny interview with Jordan Belfort from The Wolf of Wall Street about that question where he has some comments and what he would look for. But Kurt gave killer answers. Those will work re- really well for you, Gustavo. So Gustavo also, Kurt, has to present the product. And and we don't know what it is. So, of course, our advice here is going to be a little bit generic. But he's got to present a product. And I would think that that revolves around some question asking and building some value, too. I mean, how do you generically present a product to somebody? What are some pointers for Gustavo? Well, I don't know if he knows what the product is. And I'm assuming he does. I would do as much research on the product, memorize the features and benefits, first of all. Second of all, create Second of all, create a sales presentation where you know you're asking for the business, asking for the sale. The third thing I would do, probably the most important, is I'd get some of your meanest friends and do this five-minute presentation and have them heckle you and throw questions at you and say, what about this, what about this, or that's stupid, because you're going to get some of that. Not as bad from the sales manager, but they want to see how you handle questions and objections, and they could get a little mean just to see your demeanor and how you're acting. If you're already prepared for that, you've already had the worst-case scenario This is going to be easy for you, and it's going to be a lot smoother, and you'll be able to get the job. Yeah, there's not some perfect answer that they're going to check the box and say, you're hired, right? This is a reaction. How do you think on your feet? And I think what Kurt said that that is the most valuable there is you would be a complete moron if you didn't research this company and its products, what some of the complaints are, what some of the good things are before you go into this interview. Because even if you just totally fumble out your words and look like an idiot, if it shows that you did some homework, I mean, that that's a big a big plus in the eyes of the guy doing the interview, wouldn't you say? It, oh, absolutely. You got to do your homework. You got to be creative. In fact, I did an interview today, and one of my questions was, okay, when I, I knew he golfed, I says, what golf club best describes your personality and why? And I didn't care really about the answer, but I want to see how they think on their feet, how creative they are. And it was actually great. He says, you know what? I'm a putter. 
Because it doesn't matter how far you drive it. If you can't close the deal, if you can't seal the deal, if you can't sink it in the hole, it doesn't matter. I'm like, woo, 10 That's points. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, man. Wow. <laughs> you hired good. him, right? Oh, you bet. Yeah, that's that's putter. I mean, let it. Let's go on the record that that's the answer you gotta give. I'm not I get, right. get the deal done. I've got those details in the home stretch. I mean, yeah, I would have probably I would have probably said, yeah, I'm the driver. I get up there and slice at fifty yards to the right on the opposite <laughs> fairway. <laughs> a lot of times the answer doesn't matter, but I want you to see you think on your feet, be creative, be spontaneous, because that's. I mean, that's what sales is. Well, there you go. We hope that helps with your interview, Gustavo. Please uh, write into the show. Let us know if you got the uh, if you got the job or not. So yeah, yeah, be curious to hear. So thanks for your thanks for your email. Like I said, if you have comments, questions, derogatory remarks, or suggestions, if you want to nominate ninjas or homers, send it to maximizeyourinfluence at gmail dot com. And that's uh, that's it. That's the show for the week. We'll catch you next week on another episode. Go out and persuade with power.